I believe there are people that are in this house today that have come to this meeting with deficit. Deficit. I don't know of anybody that doesn't have a shortage somewhere in your life. I don't know of anybody that if I were to ask you, what's your greatest need, it wouldn't take you three seconds to spit it out because you live with it all of the time. There are many kinds of different deficits. There's deficit monetarily. There are a lot of people that are flat broke emotionally. There are a lot of people that are bankrupt spiritually. There are a lot of people that are stressed out in relationships. There are a lot of people that are needy today. We've come to this house today as needy people. I confess to you, I need God to help me. There are many things I, I need God's supply. I need God's deliverance. I need God's healing. I need God's help. And I'm reminded of that great verse that we quote so many times. But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now I've preached to you over the years about a lot of needy people. I've preached to you about a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road who was needy and he said Lord have mercy upon me and Jesus cured his blindness I preached to you about a leper that came to Jesus who was shunned lived a life of isolation a misfit in society a castaway and an outcast and he came to Jesus and he said if thou wilt thou canst make me clean and Jesus said I will be thou clean Needy people, needy people who had lost a brother, who had been dead in the grave. And Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If any man believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. Needy people, all through the whole testament, old and new, it's full of people that are needy. In fact, the whole human race is needy. There's a need in the human race for a Savior. There is a curse called sin, the blight that has come upon us all. And all of us have need of a Savior. All of us have need of salvation and deliverance. All of us have need of the blood and what the blood can do in our hearts and lives. I've preached to you so many times about Elijah, the Tishbite. How he was a man... Uh, uh, Kind of a John the Baptist, kind of a wilderness wandering guy. Oh, strange clothes. Strange clothes, long hair. All kind of wild things about Elijah. But wow, what a prophet of God he was that he could call down fire from heaven and burn up wet wood. Now your wood may be wet here today. A lot of, lot of water of self-pity and a lot of water of of disillusionment and disappointment and discouragement may have been poured on your wood and it's going to be hard for God or anybody else to start a fire. But I want to tell you, God's got some fire that'll burn your wet wood. I said, God's got some fire that'll burn even your wet wood. You see, a lot of people believe God can do things for others, but it's hard for them to believe he'll do it for me. Oh, if you were to ask him, do you believe God can save me? Oh, yeah, he could save you, brother. Oh, will you believe that the Lord could heal me? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith with you. But to appropriate that to ourselves and say, but God, can you do it for me? I believe you can do it for Michael, 
but can you do it for me? I, I hear Natalie talk about how God does it for her, but can you do it for me? You see, that's the all-important question for us today. Not others, but me, my need. There's a, a, a passage over in 1 Kings where Elijah, 17 chapter, 17 chapter, verse 12, and this little lady that God had sent him to. In fact, God told Elijah, go to this place and I have prepared a woman there who will minister to you. You see, God usually, when he's in the arrangements, he prepares where you're going before you get there. He's already made the arrangement before you get there. And when Elijah walked up on the scene, he finds this little woman who is busy out in the yard gathering sticks. Listen to the record. And she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and I've got a little bit of oil, just a drop or two of oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son and then we're going to eat it and our plan is to just die. Now brother, talking about pessimism, talk about negative stinking thinking, Talking about defeatism. Uh, talking about throw in the towel and quit. Talk about I've had it, can't take it no more attitude. Elijah the prophet ran upon one in the person of this woman. Brother, she had expended everything she had. Hey, you might say she had a deficit. Brother, did she have a deficit? And listen to what the man of God says to her. And the man of God said to her, he said, what have you got in the house? Don't be afraid. And go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. Touch your neighbor and say, what you have. Make the prophet of God something out of what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Kind of one of those deals of God first. One of those challenges that he issues to her. If you'll do this, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. It may seem strange to you. It may be foolishness to you. But do what I told you to do and you'll see a miracle take place in your life. See, God takes the little things of this world and confounds the wisdom of the mighty. God takes little things, insignificant things, and brings to, to the world to know that he's a God who can use small things. In fact, the Bible says, despise not the day of small things. God can take little things and do a lot. Ann remembers that song, Little is Much, if God is in it. God can take a, a little of nothing and do something fantastic with it. Oh, five loaves, two fishes. 
a stone in a shepherd boy's sling. He just delights in taking the least likely, insignificant things you would never thought would be any good and use them for his glory and to bring about victory and blessing for your life. Wow. What have you got in that house? She said, I don't have anything. I, 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 I've got a, a, a handful of meal, just a handful. I've got a few drops of oil, and I'm gathering a couple of sticks. A couple of sticks. Hey, can you do something for me? Hold up that finger. That's one stick. Hold up another. That's another stick. She's got two sticks. Do them like that right there. What'd you get out of them two sticks? A cross? You mean those two sticks represent a cross? You mean the starting place for every blessing of God is at the cross? I'm gathering up sticks. You mean if I insert the cross into my situation, you mean things will start picking up? You mean God's hand gets in motion when I recognize the cross at the starting place of my relationship with God? Do you mean at the cross is where God won the victory for us for all of time? Are you telling me that the cross is the answer to man's dilemma? Are you telling me that at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. You mean happiness comes standing at the cross? You mean peace will come through the cross? You're telling me healing is at the cross? Somebody give God some praise in this place. I'm gathering up some sticks because I've got some meal. What does that meal represent, Pastor? Makes the best bread you've ever seen. And there's a greatest human who ever lived in fact I call him the God man who said I am the bread of life glory to God brother when you take the meal of the word that was made flesh and mix it up with the cross you'll receive faith that will endue you with power and courage and bravery that you can face the fiercest foe He will give you joy in the midst of your sorrow. He'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. He'll give you victory in the severest of battles. He'll help you climb the highest mountain. He'll help you go through the darkest valley. He'll give you strength to stand up when others are falling by your side. It's the cross mixed with the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder the joints and the marrow of the bone, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is quick, it's sharp, it's quick, and it's powerful. Oh, I want to tell you, the word of God will give you life for your deadness. The word of God will give you victory for your defeat. The word of God will give you joy in the midst of your sorrow. We should rejoice in the hope that we have through the word of God. The meal. And then she said, 
I've got a little bit of oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Brother, you take the Word, the cross, and the Holy Spirit, put your equal sign out there, and put V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That spells victory. Jesus said, Behold, I've given you victory over all the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. No evil shall come nigh thy dwelling. With every temptation there will be made a way for your escape. Make sure you maintain the cross, the word, and the Holy Spirit. Don't ever discount any of those. Last Monday I sat in Jerusalem. And the powers that be were gathered around a beautiful long table. Titles all over the place. Executive committee. Director. Chairman. Chief legal advisor. And I looked those men in the face and I said, Our problem is, men, we're trying to be like everybody else. Don, if I don't get this right, you jump up and correct me. I said the day we abandoned Holy Ghost anointing and Holy Spirit baptism, we started losing our identity as a church. We started losing who we are. We, we were tempted to fall in that trap of trying to do church and do things like others do them. And we'll never fulfill our destiny. We'll never fulfill what we were made for. We'll never accomplish the task that God assigned us. We'll never achieve the vision. We'll never accomplish the goal if we stop being who God called us to be. For it's not by power and it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, hey, when are we ever going to learn that it's not in this person, it's in the energy of the spirit that flows into this person? Deficits are taken care of when the Holy Spirit becomes a priority. Boy, that's good preaching. I look to the man sitting to my immediate right, one of the most powerful financial men in our denomination, and tears was running down the corner of his face. After the meeting, he texted me and he said, Jerry, I hadn't heard anybody talk like that in a long time. Maybe God's looking for somebody that'll stand up and tell this church and tell this world that it's God's power and God's spirit that gives us the distinctive that makes us different. Thanks be to God. I rejoice in and celebrate our difference. I celebrate the things that differentiate. Hey, I'm just telling you, we can't do anything without the breath of the Holy Spirit breathing upon us. Listen, there are folks that can out-church us. There are folks that can out-religious us. There are folks that plan better. There are folks that do it better. But I want to tell you something they can't do better than us. If we determine we're going to be who we're supposed to be. And if we be who we're supposed to be, 
and lift up Jesus, the Bible said he would draw all men unto him. Amen. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power. Hallelujah. Acts 1 and 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The difference is in the book of Acts. If we would get back to the book of Acts and make it our pattern. In the book of Acts, the Bible said the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all who believe. I want to tell you, when God starts baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, when we get hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit... Why do you think non-Pentecostals want to have a revival with us? Why do you think they're interested in how we worship? Why do you think they're interested in how we sing and how we preach and how we pray? It's because there's a hunger in this world right now. They've heard enough three points and a conclusion. They've heard enough nickels and noses stuff. They're, they're ready for something, a move of God, fresh. Something that you leave church feeling invigorated. You leave church feeling like you heard something from the mind and heart of God. This world is starving to death for a move of the Spirit. Why sit we here until we die? Now I want to tell you that oil represents the Holy Spirit. In order for a miracle to take place, the Holy Spirit must be involved. We can have meetings in this building. We can have protracted gatherings in this building. But we'll never have revival in this building until the Holy Spirit presence is made abundant in this building. Olive trees that gave oil. If you were to visit the Middle East, you'd find out how essential oil is in the Middle East. Number one, they cook with it. Number two, they make medicine out of it. Number three, they use it for anointing. In fact, it is so much a part of their everyday life. They come in contact with olive oil all during the day, every day, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. As a symbol of the Holy Spirit, it must be with you every day. Not just when you come in this building and sit here and hear a gospel message or hear some songs sung. It's got to go with you. He's got to go with you everywhere you go. Go to work with you. Go to your leisure with you. He said he's a comforter, and he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will never. The Bible said that he may abide with you forever. He came to abide. He didn't come to visit. He didn't come for those momentary confrontations. He came to dwell in you. Hey, you should come expecting to meet God, but you should bring the Holy Spirit with you because you're the temple of the living God. He lives inside you. 
Hey, I want to ask you what the prophet asked the woman. Have you got anything in the house? Well, I got a drop or two of oil. Well, you ought to have a whole lot of oil. God doesn't want you to be impoverished and have a little dab because a little dab won't do you. Mm. Why are those things so important? Basis for medicine. Every medicine in that day was made out of oil. Olive oil was used for light at night. They used it for light. They used it for all kinds of different things. The Holy Spirit wants to be involved in everything we do. In fact, if you're going to do all in the name of Jesus, you got to have the Holy Spirit's presence to do that. I'm reminded of another situation in a, in a house in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. And we've changed preachers here and changed prophets. The first one was Elijah. But now we've turned over to Elisha because the anointing has been passed. The mantle has been passed. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. In other words, one of the preachers, one of the sons of the prophets had died and he didn't have a pension and he didn't have a life insurance policy and he didn't have any way to sustain his family after he died. He must have died unexpectedly. A son of the prophet died and the wife is now left in a terrible condition. She's a widow. Watch this now. Now, the chapter right before this one, Elisha is dealing with kings. There's three of them. Jehoshaphat and Mesha and the king of Edom. The king of Judah, the king of Israel, and the king of Judah. Edom. So, three kings have come to him for advice. He has become the focal point of three nations. Three nations come to a preacher for advice. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother, isn't that fantastic that three kings want to know what a preacher thinks? And when they appeared before him, one of them was Jehoram. And he was a sorry, low down, good for nothing. Son of Jezebel and Ahab. Come on, somebody. And when he walks in with Jehoshaphat, listen to what Elisha says. Elisha says, were it not for Jehoshaphat with you, whom I respect, I would not even entertain you at all. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said, and Elisha called for a minstrel. A minstrel is a singer. In other words, Elisha said, you have so soured this event by bringing this unrighteous, pagan-worshiping, Baal-praising, Baal-serving king in here for me to talk to him. I wouldn't even talk to him if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat sitting there. Somebody turn the radio on. I got to hear some music because I got to get in a better mood. Hey, Brother Music Pastor, that's what I need you to do. Sing me a song that'll make me want to preach. Amen. Sing to these people and get them ready to hear the word of the Lord. Amen. Elisha said, hey, bring a minstrel and let a minstrel play. And when the minstrel played, then he 
prophesied. Hey, he dealt with three kings. Isn't that wonderful? And then on the other end, after he had dealt with this little lady here, there was a wealthy woman that had a lot of money. Top ten tither. And she had a need also. Isn't it something that the man of God dealt with kings and wealthy women, but he stopped to be used to minister to a widow who was deficit? That's the way my God is. He's not a respecter of persons. Come on, somebody. Brian asked me this morning, he said, Dad, you're going to drive that old Suburban over there this morning with 356,000 miles on it, a 03 model, looks like a rattle trap. You're going to drive that to church this morning? I said, yes, sir. I'm going to park it right out there in that parking lot. Because all them chariots sitting out there, Lexus and Cadillacs and BMWs, and I need people who pass by to know that they'll welcome an old suburban that's run down and shaky that I pull the bass boat with. God's not just a blesser of rich people. God does, doesn't hear just the prayer that rich people pray. God doesn't heal just people that are kings and, and premiers. God hears the cry of every broken heart. The Bible said he is nigh to everyone that is of a contrite spirit and of a broken heart. God is no respecter of persons. He don't look at what the label on the coat is that you wear. He don't, he don't care what your address is if it's got to be in a certain subdivision. Hey, he looks at your heart. And if he sees that your heart has a deficit, he is a deficit need supplying God. He will do for you what no other power can do. Oh, yes, he will. He pulled up and he looked at this situation and this woman was out gathering sticks and doing things and this this lady here she said I, I've only got in my house well she asked him a question she asked him she said can you help me he said what shall I do for you what do you want me to do and she said I, I, I'm in a mess said I my husband has died I don't have anything left I've got a son, two sons. The creditors are coming. We owe money. And the creditors are coming to get my sons and take them and put them in bondage. I've not only got problems that are financial, I've got problems that are domestic. I'm about to have my family broke up. I'm about to go through a very difficult, disastrous, catastrophic time. I need help. Can you help me? And Elisha answered her question with a question. He said, what have you got in the house? What you got in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing. I've got nothing. And then she thought, well, there's something, but it's really nothing. Come on, somebody. It might be that God wants to use what you think is nothing to make a miracle happen that can supply. What you've overlooked is what God says, that's what I can use. 
something that you have little regard for. That's what I want to make powerful and effective and delivering in your, your heart, your life. I want to bless you, but it's going to come through something you don't think much of. I've got a little oil in my house. That oil still symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Well, Brother Jerry, can you get low on Holy Spirit? I'm preaching about 400 and so of them, probably. Been some time in your life when you got low on oil. I talked not long ago about running on empty. Some of you run low on oil sometimes. Some of you sat up on the side of the bed and said, I don't know if I need to go this morning or not. I don't feel real good. I, I don't know. I, I, I've been through service after service anyway, and there'll just be three praise and worship songs, take up the offering, make announcements, and preach a sermon anyway. Been there and done that. Come on, somebody. Running low on oil. When you get to running low on oil, you don't really appreciate the things that you've got. They seem nothing to you. I just made reference to the car that you got out there. I have people come, Brother Jerry, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. I said, well, I thought you were doing pretty good. You felt pretty good today, don't you? Well, I'm not sick, if that's what you're asking. I said, well, you got health then. That's something. Got clothes on, thank God. I see that's pretty nice, nice suit you got on there, nice clothes you got on. You got something. It ain't nothing. That car you drove over here looked pretty nice to me. It, it's not nothing. It's something. Well, I, what do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about. You see, when you look at what God has given you and think it's nothing, and you don't have a praise the Lord, and you don't have a thank you Jesus, and you don't have a blessed be the Lord, you don't have a worship, and you don't have a praise, when you start disdaining and even despising the things that God has given you, you put yourself in a very negative position. Because oftentimes when you don't regard the goodness of God, when you don't praise Him and you don't thank Him and you don't worship Him for the things He's put, and you just walk around saying, ah, that's nothing, that's nothing, and you don't have any praise for Him, you're starting something in your heart and in your system. Now, now listen, the Holy Ghost, He's a person. And listen to this pastor. He, the devil can't steal it. Did you hear what pastor said? I said the devil can't steal him. He is the third member of the Godhead. He was present the day he said let us make man in our own image. He is all that God is. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's got all power. Come on. And he knows all things. 
You think the devil could steal the Holy Ghost? No, he can't steal him. But he can get you to thinking such little of him till it becomes nothing. No, he's no match for the Holy Ghost. He can't steal the Holy Ghost. So his best route is to get you to thinking it don't matter. I don't need him. Come on, somebody. Brother, the day this church says we don't need him. The day this church becomes prideful and arrogant and Laodicean and you have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. When you get to the place that you don't have a praise and you don't have a worship and you don't have a thankful heart to the Lord Jesus, you don't have a holy hands to lift up and say, I worship you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you get to the place that you have little regard for what God has given you, then you're on dangerous, dangerous ground. And it won't be long until you'll be sitting in the seat of a scorner. Buckle your seatbelt. That's what's happened to us over the years. As people did not have an appreciation for what God has done. Randall often says to me, Brother Jerry, I was here 62 years ago, 64 years ago, when we were in a block building down on 16th Street. And said to walk in here now and see what God has done for us. My Lord, he said, there's not a day that goes by, he said, that I don't praise the Lord and thank God for where he's brought us to, what he's done for us. But you see, the, the time that people lose sight of the goodness of God and consider it nothing. When God has grown you from a couple of hundred people to over a thousand, when you're offering, when I came here, our payment was $4,500 a month and was behind on it. Thirteen months in a row before I took this church in August of 86, you were in the red every month. And you think that sitting in this building, $12 million building, that I'm not going to say thank you, Jesus, praise your name, Glory to God. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. But see, when you, when you get to where that you regard what God has given you as nothing and little, then it's not long before a bitterness sets in. Come on, somebody. The more of the Holy Spirit I have, the more of the oil that I have, The Bible said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that tell me? It tells me that the Holy Spirit will occupy the fullness of my heart. But if I diminish Him and I subordinate Him to a small, insignificant role, then other things 
will start moving into that portion that I have diminished and left vacant and have abandoned. Come on, somebody. And next thing I know, I'm thinking more like a carnal person than I am a spiritual person. Boy, I've never preached more anointed than I feel right now. For the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Have mercy. So the prophet said, you go in the house and said, send out your sons and tell your sons to go borrow vessels. Get ready. God forms it before he fills it. I said God forms it and provides it before he fills it. It's like the sermon that I preach, Kathy, that Faye reminds me of. Dig a ditch and God will fill it. Make a place and God will move in. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We all are just earthen vessels. Every one of us are meant to contain something, to hold something. But if you get like that potter's vessel that was broken and wouldn't hold anything, the Bible said he made it over again. Brother, if your vessel has become leaky, if the oil has been diminished, then you need to have a revival. You need to dig. You need to have a shaking. You need to have something happen in your heart and your life and make room for a miracle. Make room for a blessing. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm making room for a blessing of God. I hope this church is digging ditches. I hope this church is enlarging its borders. I hope this church is preparing itself for a move of God. We've got to form it before he can fill it. Go borrow some vessels and borrow not a few. What do you mean? Don't put God in a box of smallness and littleness. Borrow not a few. Get a bunch of them to hold a big blessing. God is a big God. Touch your neighbor and say, God is a big God. He's a big God. He does things in a big way. He's not going to build you a cabin in the corner of glory. In my Father's house are many mansions. You think he'd put an eyesore like a cabin somewhere off in the corner of glory? Why, no. Go borrow vessels. And the Bible said that she went in the house and shut the door. This is personal. This is private. Not my neighbor. Not the sheriff. Not the mayor. But me. Shut the door. Everything, sometimes you just got to shut the door for God to do the miracle you need. There's some folks that you need to shut the door to keep them out. (laughs) 
Brother, when you need a miracle, you don't need to punt up some mully-grubbing, fault-finding, down-in-the-mouth person to advise you. Wow! Brother, you need to shut that door. Say, honey, I love you and I appreciate you and I'll I'll pray with you about anything, but I don't want to listen to your stuff today. I'm going to shut that door. Come on now. That person that gets on your shoulder every time and tells you how mean that husband is, how bad them kids are, and how how you're having such a hard time and always hurting and da-da-da-da-da. Say, honey, I know that's all true and you need to say that to somebody, but I'm not the one today. Let me shut the door on that. I can't listen to that. I need God to do something for me. I need God to do something for me. I've got a need I need God to meet for me. I've got a burden I need God to bear. I need to cast my care upon the Lord. I don't need to hear about all that pessimism. Shut the door. Shut the door. And she shut the door and she began to pour. I said she began to pour. And the, as long as she poured, the oil was replenished and supplied. What does that tell me, Pastor? It tells me that as long as I keep pouring, the oil's going to keep on flowing. Oh, blessed be God. God's blessings are in the outflow. God's blessings come from the overflow. God's blessings come with that river of living water that shall flow out of your innermost being. And this spake he of the Spirit. You got to keep the Holy Spirit flowing. You don't want to dam it up. You don't want to make a lake. You want to make a river out of your innermost being shall flow. God's got oil that he wants to flow through you. And it will flow as long as you keep pouring it out. When you stop pouring it out, then it'll stay. Keep on being a blessing. I said keep on being a blessing. Keep on doing those things that God wants you to do. You'll never overcome. You'll never be the person God wants you to be until you learn that lesson of making the Holy Spirit a priority. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her sons, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Brother, when the pouring ceased, the oil stayed. Let me tell you something. There is nothing that will enhance the flow like prayer. There is nothing that will bring revival like prayer. There's nothing that will liberate the soul like the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Brother, if you will pray, the Holy Spirit will flow. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then will I start flowing then the oil will start coming out. Then there will be an abundance. There will be a blessing. There will be something that is unspeakably happy about the oil that is poured out. 
God wants you to be a person of prayer. There is nothing that will open up floodgates like effectual fervent prayer. Then she came and told the man of God, all the vessels are full. Praise God. I've got enough oil. God has met my need. Came and told the man of God. And the man of God said, go and sell all that oil and pay your debt and live you and your children out of the rest of it. Wow. Your miracle and the source of your supply will happen the day that you start believing God for a move. It first starts in your heart and your mind. I've found that God uses simple things. He uses things. He'll bless what He has given to you. God will bless what He has given to you. Stop looking for something else or somebody else. God will bless what He's given you. Touch your neighbor and say that. God will bless what He has given you. Boy, y'all are bashful this morning. You don't like who's sitting by you? They may not have used deodorant today or something. I don't know. That was real weak. The oil you have is the oil you need. I said the oil you have, God's not got a replacement. I said he's not going to replace the oil. He's going to magnify the oil. He's going to take what you've got and multiply it. Wow. So you look around and see something you've overlooked, something you think's insignificant that you don't thank God for anymore, and just realize God might use that. Hmm. Have you ever been amazed at this, these lottery people that, that they win, and I hear them say, well, I didn't buy but one ticket. One ticket. Where was it, Don, I was at, and they was raising money for something, and going to give away 10 dozen balls and I don't win anything. You don't need to say amen to everything I say. I don't win. I'm the unluckiest person. I don't preach on luck at all. No. You're not a believer in luck. If God ain't in it, I'm out. Because I'm not lucky. I'm the world's worst at playing those board games where you roll dice. I'm not good at that. I'm not even good at card games. I'm the worst card drawer you ever seen. I would not make you a good root rook partner. I don't draw them good. <laughs> so I walked through one day, and, and they were raising money for White Plains golf team or somebody. They had some tickets there, and it's going to give away 10 dozen balls. And uh, uh, there's raffle, the ticket, raffle ticket, $5 a piece. So I gave him $5 and said, you don't want but one? He said, most people's buying four or five. I said, I don't need to get but one because you, you, you need to know my history with these things. One's all I need. Well, it happened to be on a Wednesday, wasn't it, Don? I come on to church, and Don comes in with 10 dozen balls under his arms like this. It only takes one little. Sometimes you overlook the littleness and the insignificance of it. Stand with me. That boy 
that had the fishes and loaves, he was a little, wasn't he? Little. And when Philip found him, he brought him around to Jesus. And you know what he said? He said, all we got is this little kid, and he's got a sack lunch. He's got two sardines and five crackers. And then Philip said, but what is that? I'm asking you today, what is that? God took those five loaves and two fishes and fed 25,000 people. God can take that thing that you say, but what, what is that? And he can take little and make something great out of it. I hope that Harvest Church realizes today that every gift of God is important. That everyone God gives us is important. That every person that comes to this church is important. That everything we do, each message we preach, each song we sing, it's important. Somebody said, well, don't sweat the small stuff. You better. You better or it'll become big stuff. All big stuff starts with small stuff. But brother, if we positively affect what God has given to us, I want to be in that number, don't you? Now you're going to have your kids gathered around 4th of July and be celebrating, making ice cream, doing all that stuff. Don't you forget, before you down that hamburger, get it off that grill, make your plate. You stop and say, hold it, youngins. We've got to thank God for his goodness to us. We've got to stop here and pray a prayer. Don't you let that pass by. Thank God for his goodness. And don't ever count the things that God does as nothing. Nothing. Everything is something. Something. Celebrate the good things. And every need. Somebody say every need. Every need will be supplied. Every need will be supplied. And the devil can't steal the Holy Ghost. I've got him. I may have been ignoring him for a while. May not have been paying much attention to him, but he hadn't left me. And I may have little regard for him, and he, he, he may wonder where I've been and what, what I've been thinking. But today, I, I heard the message, and I understand, preacher. And I'm going to work on my relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives in my house. Amen. I'm going to work on my relationship with the Holy Spirit that lives in my house. Because I'm a keeper of the oil. I'm a keeper of the oil. David assigned somebody, the cellar, to keep the cellar where the oil was kept. Brother, I'm telling you right now, I hope we take care of the oil, don't you? I hope we take care of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you for another gospel message this side of eternity. Thank you that one more time has passed over my head. That I have stood and felt your anointing to deliver your word. Thank you for the message. Thank you for these people that have heard the word. And I ask you, O oh God, to let us go out of this place and be doers of the word and not just hearers only. That's our prayer in departing in Jesus' name. Amen.